Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Doing something a little bit different today, moving away from some of the rookie content and starting startup content. And I'm joined today to go over a live startup draft that we're in right now by Ryan Ruff. You can find him on Twitter at Dr. Archibald. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Uh, this is a big money league uh, startup, so I'm excited to kind of dive into the ADPs. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be going through the draft today, talking about some of our strategy, some of the trading strategy. Um, as you mentioned, this is a bigger money league, uh, $250 entry fee. So getting some good competition in here. Um, just to go over the basics before we dive in, this is a super flex tight end premium draft with a full point tight end premium. Uh, we are starting 11 players. So your two wide outs, uh, sorry, two running backs, three wide outs, three flexes, that one tight end, and then one quarterback, one super flex. Um, so pretty standard format, except for the full tight end premium and a little bit of a deeper league. So I want to start off, and this is a third round reversal as well. So I want to start off talking about the Derby draft, because this is the question I get from a lot of my listeners, a lot of my patrons. What's the best spot to pick from, especially from a third round reversal? Now, you had, I believe it was the sixth or seventh pick in the Derby draft, and you ended up getting the 103. What was your thought process as other people were picking, and how happy are you to get the 103? Um, when looking at it, I typically like to go for one of those star quarterbacks, preferably one of the top four or five, obviously T laws, part of that tier, arguably, but, um, as we see, he doesn't go where you typically see him going, but with the six point for passing, um, I always like to go with whether it's one Oh two, one Oh one, one Oh three, one Oh four, and get one of those burrow hurts players, just because I think they elevate you just from the starting perspective. I understand the third round reversal and people wanting to maybe build young, but for me, it's typically one of those top six picks. So if I can get any one of those, I'm pretty satisfied. So one Oh three at, um, like you said, the sixth or seventh pick, it felt pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I look at it where, um, I ended up at the one Oh four. So we're picking back to back. So I'm sure we sniped each other a few times, which is going to be uh, interesting to get into, but I look at it similarly where, you really need to get one of these quarterbacks at the beginning. So if one of the top three picks is available to me, I'm getting that. I have Joe Burrow as my 104, especially in a six point per pass touchdown league. So I was, I think I had the 10th pick in this derby draft. So I was pretty thrilled I, to get I don't him. Know how you did it. I, don't know I have you did absolutely, it. <laughs> I thought I'd be stuck with, you know, the 110 and be stuck with, you know, Jamar Chase and then the 203 in the second round, which is really a terrible place to be. You know, you right. pick in between McCaffrey and Brees Hall and AJ Brown. It, it's not a good place to be. So the way I think about it in terms of this year from the third round reversal perspective is there's not a huge difference between the end of the second and the beginning of the second, right? Like at 203, we got AJ Brown at 211. We got Jalen Waddle. And even if we move to the third round, right, we got Jameer Gibbs at the 302 and Saquon Barkley at the 311. We got, Chris Alave at the 304 and Devonta Smith at the 310. It, it's just not that big of a difference compared to the difference between a guy like Hertz or Burrow and a guy like, you know, Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson who haven't proven or who aren't being rated, I guess, on that level right now. Right. No, absolutely. My favorite sweet spot of the draft, honestly, is right at that end of the third, as you said, like, Obviously, A.J. Brown's going at the 203, but when you compare him over to, like, Devontae Smith at the 310, like, when it comes to just the value of the pick, I'd prefer Devontae Smith at the 310 every day of the week. And then going into that <clears throat> start of the fourth, I think there's a lot of value to, towards that specific spot of the draft. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited to get there and, and discuss some of the values that you see, because I feel right. similarly. I, I think that's really the, the key point of the draft that you want to be able to target. I see a huge drop off around kind of the mid fourth. So the more yeah. picks that you can load up in that early area, I think is pretty key. Um, so let's get started talking about it at the 103. So this is a six point per passing touchdown league. Did you have any doubt taking Hertz over Burrow? Um, to me, uh, Hertz surprisingly is actually my 102. I think I'm more comfortable taking Hertz with what we saw and what his rushing upside presents with the amount of times he really just runs the ball on the goal line. Yeah. I mean, you see how efficient they are when it comes to just getting that QB sneak in. So anything within the one or two, it's like, I, I don't know if they're going to be running it with Rashad Penny or DeAndre Swift, who obviously has had a hard time getting in the end zone to start his career. So just keep doing what they know best with Jalen Hurts. He brings the rushing upside along with two elite weapons to throw to, I guess three with, if you want to argue Goddard's up there, but um, to me, I, I just love the Eagles and the Hurts and what they bring to the table. So he's currently my one Oh two in my ranking. So I have no problem taking him at the one Oh three. And, and so you, would you take him over Josh Allen? I assume as well. I, I, yeah, I know but, you're a Chiefs fan, yeah. so I assume you're not taking yeah, him over Mahomes. No, Mahomes is definitely my one Oh one. Allen's my one Oh three. Um, I guess there might be a little bias in that, but I just based on what we saw from Hertz last year, I think I'm just comfortable with the contract that he signed and what we've seen that I think he's currently my 102 safely. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I personally have Hertz and Burrow as my three and four respectively in the same right. tier. Um, I, I do get where you're coming from, but even if we look at last year, I mean, Jalen Hurts got over three more points per game than Joe Burrow. There's significantly more upside for a rushing quarterback compared to a guy like Burrow, who's just not going to run that much. If you look at a six point per pass TD uh, league that goes down to about a two point gap, but I'm still taking Hertz there because he has the ability to really break a lot of weeks the way that Burrow doesn't typically do. Right. Um, so then I had Burrow at the one Oh four. This was a pretty easy pick for me. I mean, as I said, I, I actually have my five through my 13 all in the same tier which is another reason why I'm really hoping to get one of these first four picks because otherwise I might as well just get 12. So I was really happy to get Burrow here. If, if I had the fifth pick, I would have been trying like hell to trade back because once you get into the Herbert Lamar, Trevor Lawrence range, to be honest, there's not a whole lot of difference between those guys and Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Bijan Robinson. So I really hate the middle of the first. I'm trying like hell to trade out of there if possible, but I was pretty excited to get Burrow at the 104. Were you considering at any point, I know you're not picking now again till the 210, were you considering moving up as, so eight of the first nine picks were quarterbacks and then we saw Jefferson and Chase go off the board. Were you considering moving up for one of those quarterbacks or Deshaun Watson, or were you happy uh, waiting to see what came to you at the 210? Yeah, I was trying to get a read on the uh, general vibe of the league. I was sending out a couple offers at that 2-1 and 2-2 spot because those two people that went off the board there, Watson and Richardson, were who I was targeting. Um, obviously, it feels better to get them as a QB2 behind Jalen Hurts, but um, yeah. I, I also feel fine with them as a one. But I, I was trying to trade up. Uh, they were asking for too much, as they should be. Um, obviously, those are the two valuable players on the board still. So tried to trade up there. And then with Kyler and Dak, obviously, I have them ahead of Bryce Young in my rankings and a whole different tier. So um, me getting Bryce 10 at the 210 was fine. But unfortunately, I definitely would have preferred one of those guys that went a little earlier on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the next gap that I see for me is once you get past, for me, it's Kyler and Deshaun. You could put Dak in there as well. You know, I, I have Kyle Pitts, especially in a full tight end premium there as well. Um, I think there's quite a little bit of a drop-off after there to the Bryce Young and the C.J. Stroud type players. Um, to me, I think that was probably – you didn't have much choice. I probably would have taken Bryce Young in your position as well, but right. that's a tough spot to be at the 210. So if you do start with the top three, top four pick, I would personally consider trying to get up to the mid-early second round. Um, and that's something that I did do with with my 2-9. I traded just a, a seventh to eighth round swap later in the draft to go up to 2-6 and get Kyler Murray. Um He's my number 12 overall player once I saw him falling. I mean, I've been talking a lot about Kyler falling in these drafts. I don't think it makes any sense whatsoever. Kyler has been just as productive as Justin Herbert's been, as Joe Burrow's been, and there's no reason why he should be going later. I mean, the problems that you hear people bring up are he plays Call of Duty too much, the Cardinals suck, and he might be on a different team next year. Well, I don't give a shit about his Call of Duty. If the Cardinals suck, then him being on a new team next year would be good. It, the whole logic just makes no sense, right? He's a 25-year-old superstar with several 24-plus point-per-game seasons under his belt, and he's going a full round later than players who are essentially his comparables. So I'm trying to take Kyler Murray in the mid-second of every draft I can, but what did you think about that trade-up and pick from me? Like I said, uh, Kyler Murray, um, obviously in a tier ahead of uh, Bryce Young, who I get only a couple of picks later. I, I love Kyler. I think the key when building a Kyler build is that you want to get another quarterback that you can rely on for a solid QB2 performance on a week-to-week basis, and I think you very much so end up doing that um, as somebody just gets picked. Luke Musgrave. But, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I like what you did, but, no, that, that, that is spot on for me. I, I think he's very underpriced, and if you can survive and make the playoffs, he can be once again a league winner where you're getting him. Yeah, and you and I actually, which we'll get into later in the draft, end up taking – nine of the first what like 25 quarterbacks between something like teams, that yeah because yeah. the value especially in a 16 six point per touchdown league just kept falling um right. but but we'll get there later so you have Hertz and Bryce Young you have your two quarterbacks which I feel like is as important as ever to leave the first two rounds with two quarterbacks and startups what are you thinking about the build of your team right now are you thinking like, cause Hertz is very much a win now guy. I know he's young, right. but he's a Russian quarterback and to be putting up massive points. Bryce Young, I'm not expecting to contribute that much as a, as a, a rookie player. What are you thinking for your team construction? Once I get those two established quarterbacks, I kind of pivot over to just doing a BPA with a heavy emphasis on the tight end because of the full point premium, yep. as well as the wide receiver position. So as we go along, I'll end up out of the next four rounds. I'll do three wide receivers and a, a tight end there. But um, I'm definitely uh, mostly punting running backs in these type of um, these type of leagues, considering the value just considers uh, continues to fall. So once I get those two quarterbacks, I'm typically looking to build around them with uh, young wide receivers and then a elite tight end if I can grab one. Yeah, and the good thing about really both of our builds through this time period is that both of us can go in either way, right? With Hertz and Burrow, we have the elite quarterback. With Young and Kyler, we have the hypothetically elite quarterback who may not be that good initially. So we right. can just wait and take the best player available, see what falls to us, and let the board dictate what our build is, which is kind of what I always recommend. Yeah. Um, so in in the third round, we see you know Jonathan Taylor and Jameer Gibbs as the first two picks come off the board. 
We see Kelsey and Mark Andrews come off early in the third round, and then we see a bit of a run on wide receivers. So out of these wide receivers who went in the late second, early third, in order, we got Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddell, ARSB, Alave, London, and Tyree Kill. And then we get to my pick and your pick. Were you hoping any of those guys fell? Uh, Were you disappointed that I ended up taking T. Higgins, you went Devonta Smith, were you disappointed that it ended up being Devonta Smith for you? Um, I think it kind of just worked out for both of us. We both got our stacks for our first picks with Burrow. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Smith. So th- that that works out well. Obviously, um, a stack definitely doesn't have as much impact in maybe like a dynasty league as it would with like possibly like a best ball league or something along those lines. But when you're just looking at on my sheer rankings, I do have Devonte Smith ahead of like London and Tyreek Hill just slightly. So I was happy with the pick, but they're all pretty much in the same tier. So any of those guys getting the three ten, I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah. And I feel similarly, I have Devonta ranked as my 33rd player. You got him as the 34th pick, but all of my other top 32 was off the board by then. So he was the last player in a tier for me. Did you consider taking Stefan Diggs or Jackson Smith, Ajigba over Devonta Smith? Um, Diggs, um, Diggs, uh, you can definitely make the argument. I could definitely see myself have taking Diggs more so if I maybe had traded up for that Deshaun Watson or AR-15 for my QB2. But with the Bryce Young build, it could be maybe me just kind of figuring out things uh, year one um, uh, expectations-wise, I suppose. And I think Devontae Smith with that stack is just a little safer of a pick for me. Yeah, and and I always advise staying flexible as long as you can in these startup drafts. This startup draft actually wasn't too trade heavy. We've had 17 trades now through the first 14 rounds, which may sound like a lot, but really it's not. Um, You know, usually I see, you know, 50% of the picks are traded here. It's kind of more like 25%. There was a lot of hesitancy moving around. So Devonta Smith as that, you know, 24-year-old middle-aged wide receiver, Um, you can kind of still go either way with your build. Um, The guy who you ended up taking snaking around at the 4-3 was TJ Hawkinson. Uh, I thought that was incredible value for a full tight end premium league. Did you give any thought, uh, because what I thought you were going to do is, so when I took T Higgins, I was hoping Hawkinson would fall to me, but I did want that stud wide receiver, and I have Higgins and Smith a tier above those other guys. Did you give any thought to taking Hawkinson at 310 and hoping that, you know, Devonta or Diggs would fall to you at the four three. I did think about it. Um, I just hesitate. I, I hesitated slightly because I, I did want the stack with Hertz and Smith. I don't know yeah. if that was poor judgment on my part, but I was willing to take the chance. Um, I also would have been fine. Like, like we said, we took nine out of what the 25 first quarterbacks off the board. Yeah. I also would have taken Tua if he was there at the four three, probably. Yeah, I agree with that. So Tua and Hawkinson were the two that I was kind of hoping would last. Um, Etienne was was the last guy on my board there who I ended up taking at, at the 4-4. Uh, but I, I think that makes a lot of sense with Hawkinson. But before we move on to the fourth round, let's touch a little bit on stacks. Um, you mentioned that it's more beneficial in best ball. Do you want to do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of underdog drafting over this um, offseason. It's definitely a different strategy, but the principle of drafting definitely still remains the same. Uh, You definitely want to go BPA at a lot of the spots and just have flexibility when you're building your roster. But um, when it comes to the underdog process, um, 
the best ball, the stacks are so much more pivotal because obviously you're playing for such big money. Um, you're playing in big money tournaments. So the um, outcomes are obviously a lot more dependent on the specific stacks you have. So um, I definitely, when I play underdog, I'm looking for stacks a lot more, but when they kind of just fall to us, like they did at the 309 and 310, I think it's just like a no brainer to just help give you that league winning boost when it comes to having hurt some Devonte Smith dropping 55 in a singular week together. Yeah, exactly. And I, I use it traditionally as a tiebreaker, but I actually did right. an analysis on stacks in my dynasty leagues. Cause I was under the impression they were kind of overrated when you're not in a best ball scenario as well. And my analysis actually disproved my, you know, initial hypothesis. Basically, if you look at a quarterback wide receiver stack, you're about 50% more likely to win a title than if you didn't have that stack. And I'm just looking at the top eight quarterbacks. So if you look at the top eight quarterbacks, this is over the last seven years, a sample of about 1200 leagues. If you look at those top eight quarterbacks, um, 41% of the league winners who who had one of these quarterbacks also had the stacked wide receiver of one of their top two wide receivers, while only 28% of these teams that had one of those top eight quarterbacks who didn't have one of those top eight receivers ended up winning. So you basically get an extra 12% chance of winning an extra 50% just by getting that wide receiver stack. And a lot of it makes sense. I mean, there is some collinearity to that. There is some correlation without causation because you know when Joe Burrow had his breakout T Higgins had his breakout Jamar Chase had their breakout there is correlation to that but that's part of the reason why you take the stack right so it's it's not something where I'm gonna end up taking you know let's say I I had Kyler Murray I'm not gonna go take DeAndre Hopkins in round five over Jerry Judy but I am gonna take T Higgins over Devontae Smith who I both have in the same tier if I had ended up getting Hurts I probably would have reversed that Right. It, it really just comes down to, at the end of the day, that they were at their own values, but you're never going to want to reach on a stack in Dynasty, but when it falls to you, it's just it, it just that extra little uh, piece of the cake, I suppose. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out was that the quarterback run, even in a full tight end premium league, was really real. It's a six-point-per-pass touchdown, as I've mentioned a few times. So we had eight quarterbacks in round one. We had six quarterbacks in round two. And then there's a massive break, right? Where we have zero in round three, we have two in round four, one in round five, and one in round six. So it really tells you if you want to have two elite quarterbacks, two of the top 16 who are going in the top 24 picks, you need to spend your top two picks on them. If not, I really do like Tua as a guy to target in that 3-4 turn. I have Tua a little bit higher. He's actually my 29th overall player. I have him over T. Higgins. If I hadn't already taken my two quarterbacks, I probably would have taken Tua um, at the 3-9. I wouldn't be letting him fall much past the late third round because otherwise you're stuck taking Goff in round five or taking a Kirk Cousins type you know, in round six, which is just not the same effect. Did you consider taking Tua and, and did the fact you already had Hurts and Bryce Young play into that? Um, Definitely played into it. At that point, I was like, all right, I already have two quarterbacks. I kind of want to see how the rest of the league starts to value the quarterback position after those top 16, top 17 guys. Um, So I definitely – I did definitely hindered my um thought process when select – like if I were to have selected Tua. But um, he was definitely like, – like I said, I definitely considered him at the 403 if he were to have dropped. 
Yeah, and I ended up taking Travis Etienne after Tua and Hawkinson went off the board at the 4-4. I've actually now taken Etienne in all three of my startups I've done since the rookie draft. I'm getting him right in this mid-fourth area. To me, I absolutely love that value for Etienne because, and you took Tank Bigsby, so maybe you'll disagree with me a little bit later, but I view him, whether or not he's the 100% bell cow, the 80% bell cow, or just the 65% 1A, he's going to be getting a lot of the high-value touches. I think he'll be used more as a receiving option this, uh, this season. And he was, I believe, third in expected points added per rush. Um, and in rushing yards over expected last season, he really proved himself to be an elite rusher. We saw him catch more than 50 passes in college from Trevor Lawrence his senior year. So I see so much upside for Travis Etienne. And as we'll get to, the running backs after him all have major question marks, have age question marks, have usage question marks that I don't think Etienne has. So he's really the last running back I'm comfortable having as my RB1 if I'm potentially putting together a contending build. Absolutely. I um, So yeah, for ETN, the one thing that hesitates me slightly on ETN is knowing that he was part of the Urban Meyer draft. Yeah, um, We know historically uh, Doug Peterson has run running back by committees with his time in uh, Philadelphia. So that is the one thing that slightly makes me nervous. We, as you said, third and expected points added. He, he, he runs the ball like hell. He, he's a great running back. Don't get me wrong. The one thing is just my concern on how exactly they plan to use Bigsby and ETN collectively this year. And I'm, I'm with you on all that. He's a great player and he obviously has the passing uh, or pass receiving upside, excuse me. But um. Yeah, for, for me, I like I said, I, I typically just like to pivot off of the running back position for the first couple of rounds. But at 4-4, the way you explain it, there's, I mean, he seems like a no-brainer there. Yeah, and, and I totally understand that. What, what I kind of, how I would explain Doug Peterson's running back usage is he tried like hell to give Miles Sanders as much running back usage as he could. I mean, That's as a... As a rookie, my second round pick, Miles Sanders came out, had 180 rushes and 63 targets. If Etienne receives that, he'll be a top eight running back pretty easily. And Etienne's now going into his third year, already proven to be a significantly better player than Miles Sanders ever did. So I'm pretty, and before that, it was some combination of what Corey Clement and LeGarrette Blunt. I just don't think that he's ever really had this elite weapon at running back. And I see no reason why, you know, I think he's a good coach. I think the Jaguars are going to have an elite offense. I think Etienne's going to have a lot of opportunities to score. And I think he just has pretty solid upside. It's not a pick I am, you know, thrilled to make, but he is my last guy really in that tier of a player that I'm happy taking in, you know, the early fourth round. Absolutely. So then if we move on in the fourth round, this is where it really drops off a cliff to me. Um, you get your Devonte Adams, your Cooper Cup, your Daniel Jones, your DK Metcalf, Kenneth Walker, Austin Eckler going in the late fourth round. Any picks from this area surprise you as going too early or, you know, you thought was a great value? Um, I think it's pretty standard. Like we said, there's just a big drop off once we get past that ETN Hawkinson to a t- um, tier. Um, it's pretty standard throughout. I've done a lot of uh, startups this um off season so far. So it's pretty standard as is obviously Kenneth Walker's taken a little bit of a hit since the Charbonnet uh, draft pick, but nothing that really screams um, abnormal out of this uh, back half of the fourth. 
Yeah, I think what's interesting here is that you see, uh, for instance, Jerry Judy go here while, you know, Christian Watson goes over a round later. Quentin Johnston goes over a round later. You see Josh Jacobs and Kenneth Walker go here and you see Ramondre Stevenson, DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins go over a round over, you know, around even two rounds later. So this area of the draft does not have a lot of value. So if you are in an actively trading draft, I would love to get, let's say, six picks in the top four rounds, and then I'm okay not drafting till the seventh or eighth round because you'll have gotten the core of your team, and there's not even a massive drop-off, especially from the fourth to the sixth. Are we doing a live draft pick? You're on the clock. Oh, baby. All right. Let's see what's going on here. So (laughs) this is a little bit later. I'll I'll take a look at it, and we'll we'll get to a live draft pick later. Um, No worries, dude. All right, so the fifth round, this was super interesting. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this because I have these two guys actually in a tier of their own. Um, our fifth round picks, I took Traylon Burks at the 5'9". You took C- Christian Watson at the 5'10". Um, it's pretty rare for me this late in my startup rankings to have guys on their own tier. Uh, but I think that Burks and Watson are similar players in similar positions um, and should be ranked well above some of the guys who are going before them, quite honestly, but after some of the more proven young guys like T Higgins, Devonta Smith and those types. So right. as we're heading towards the five, nine and five, 10, we see most of the next year of running backs come off the board. Javante, Chubb, Najee, Pollard and Ramondre. We see our first kind of, or I, I guess our second rookie wide receiver come off the board in Jordan Addison. What were you hoping for as we were approaching the five, 10? Um, I was um, looking basically at this little uh, tier of Burks, Watson, Quinn Johnson, and I'm a little higher on uh, Ayuk than most of the, uh, the uh, I'd say, consensus. So yeah. I was looking at that tier. Um, Watson typically goes earlier in the fifth when I'm looking at most of the leagues that I have a sample from. So I was happy getting Watson here. Burks, once again, is another player that I really like to own. I'm, I'm with you. These guys are all within like a couple spots of each other, but I think the fifth round is definitely great value for um, some of these younger wideouts. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious. If, if I had gone Burks, is there any chance that – sorry, if I had gone Watson, is there any chance Burks would have made it through both of your picks? No, he, 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 I would have taken Burks over Debo or Quentin Johnston, um, actually. So it, it would have been Watson, and then I have Ayuk ranked uh, slightly ahead of Burks, and then it would have been Burks. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and what I really like about both of these players is – I guess let's talk about him separately because they don't have the exact same profile. I mean, Watson came onto the scene in the back half of last year and was just incredible, like literally a top five receiver by basically any metric you can use. But obviously they got Jordan Love now, not Aaron Rodgers. They added a bunch of receiving weapons. What makes you confident that Watson wasn't just a flash in the pan? To, to me, just showing that elite, um, I guess, week-by-week week, um, upside uh, just kind of showed it all. He's a big play player. And to me, I might be a little higher on Jordan Love than the consensus. I think after three years behind Aaron Rodgers, you can't really ask much more from a quarterback to go out there and learn the game. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely a little higher on uh, Love and the Packers in general. So to me, I think obviously Love is a drop-off from Rodgers, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that he's going to be able to – still booster a decent uh value for christian watson throughout this uh season 
Yeah, and Traylon Burks is in a bit of a different situation where it's just an empty receiving room. I loved him as a prospect. I actually have him as my fifth-rated prospect since 2018 at the wide receiver position, just one slot behind Jackson Smith, the Jigba. Um, The rookie year was inconsistent. A lot of that had to do with his usage as well as his injuries, but they added absolutely no one. I think he's going to feast this year. So I'm looking at my build right now. I got Burrow. I got Kyler. I got T. Higgins. Traylon Burks and Travis Etienne. I got a young team that hypothetically could compete if we see guys like Traylon Burks and Kyler Murray hit. My biggest miss in my first five rounds was I didn't get one of the top four tight ends. That's something I really wanted to get. Um, I was considering taking guys like Dallas Goddard and Dalton Kincaid as early as the five nine. Um, to me, I don't even think that's particularly early. Um, I ended up going Burks, hoping one would fall. Uh, the guy who I actually did take at 6'4 was not a tight end because I just think that I took Trey Lance there. I think he fell way too far, which we can get to in a minute. But speaking about your first five picks, you got Jalen Hurts and Bryce Young. You got Devonta Smith and Christian Watson and then TJ Hawkinson at tight end. What are you thinking about like the build and competitiveness of your team year one? Obviously, with Bryce Young being my second quarterback, you could definitely use a better quarterback for this um, first-year push. Um, so I'm definitely going to have to be reevaluated once this draft officially ends. But I'm happy with the values that I got each player at. So obviously, the dynasty market's definitely a stock market. So just making sure that you have insulated assets that you can continue to move throughout the season that'll hopefully maintain their value. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with how I started. Um, not mad. Not mad with anything that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's important to know yourself as much as knowing your league. And I know that you are an active trader. So if you yes. end up not liking your team or not thinking they'll compete year one, you'll have no trouble flipping into, you know, a rebuild mode or into a contender mold. You could easily flip Rice Young for a quarterback, get something on right. top and compete exactly. year one. So tell me why the love for Brandon Ayuk, because I got to say it's 6'3". This was a little bit early for me. It's it's nothing insane, but I would have taken a few other players over him who I think have a little more upside. Um, why Brandon Ayuk at 6'3"? I think as a wide receiver three, he provides a lot more stability than some of these guys who may have a higher ceiling than him. Obviously, the 49ers are probably a top five offense when it comes to just scoring and whatnot. And in dynasty, I, I in fantasy in general, I like to tie myself to some of these elite offenses. So... As a wide receiver three, I definitely think he has the capability of giving boom weeks while also having a pretty safe floor just based on what we've seen in the last couple of years from him. Obviously, I said I'm a little higher on him, but uh, to me, with them picking up his fifth-year option and having two more years on the 49ers, I just think that, uh, to me, he he's a very safe wide receiver to go with instead of potentially one of these younger guys and like a Zay Flowers, Jahan Dotson, or some of the other wide receivers that go before, after him. Yeah, and I think Ayuk was picked, um, like where he was picked was pretty rational as far as the wide receivers go. I think my kind of question with it would have a little bit more to do with not going quarterback or tight end um, in this situation, particularly tight end, and obviously I didn't as well, but I thought there was clear value at tight end at this point um, on the board as well as quarterback. It ended up being okay because quarterback, and I think the quarterback you wanted fell to you in the seventh round. Um, Yeah. 
So, so with, with my six, four, what did you think of my Trey Lance pick? Cause I, I have no idea where he was going to go. If I didn't take him, I was pretty thrilled to get him at the six, four. I have him significantly higher um, as basically an early fifth rounder in my ranks. He's one of the more polarizing players in the space right now with just the uncertainty of what is going to happen in San Fran. We've heard the trade rumors. We've heard he's back up to Purdy. I, there's nothing really set in stone, and obviously that's why he's falling so much, but mm-hmm. the upside is still there. I mean, he, he could legitimately end up as a borderline top 12 pick by the end of this year. So obviously baking that into the risk versus reward at the, in the sixth round, I, I don't think anybody can fault you for taking him there. Yeah, and that's kind of how I viewed it. Like, it's not that different than Anthony Richardson. I mean, I'm not saying he should be rated anywhere close to Richardson. There's obviously more risk there. I don't think he's quite the athlete. But I'm getting him five rounds later, and to me, he was by far the last player on the board who could ever even have a hope of getting to that top 12 value. And I'm all in the value accrual stage from basically the sixth to the 10th round of startups. I'm just trying to get guys who I think could absolutely boom and hopefully flip them. So I look at a guy like Trey Lance by October, he could be worth significantly more. If he gets traded, he could be worth significantly more. And I don't see a guy who's had what three career starts, actually two career starts, um, who they invested that much in either they're going to start him or they'll trade him and start Brock Purdy. But I think Trey Lance is going to be a starter week one somewhere. So getting him as, you know, the 18th quarterback off the board in the mid sixth round, I, I was pretty excited for that. Um, if he hadn't been there, I would have gone with Dalton Kincaid. Uh, it was, it hurt me a little bit to not take Dalton Kincaid as that was kind of my plan in this full tight end premium draft, but he ended up going in the mid sixth with Dallas Goddard back-to-back. Then we had DeAndre Swift, Chris Godwin, Hollywood, J.K. Dobbins, and then George Kittle and Michael Mayer went back-to-back to to end the sixth round. Uh, What are your thoughts on kind of the tight end run that we see here? We see four going in eight picks. Um, I'm definitely a little lower on the rookie class in general, just when it comes to startup ADP. Um, Kincaid, I will not fault anybody, but to me, Michael Mayer at the 6-12, only like six picks behind Kincaid is way too rich for my blood. That was probably, that was probably one of the picks in the first six rounds where I kind of just like raised my eyebrows. I was like, okay, whoa, we, we really like Michael Mayer there then. Jeez. But, um, overall just pretty standard back half of the sec, uh, back half of the sixth, I would say, but that, that's the one that definitely is uh, most eye opening to me. Yeah. I agree with you on that mayor. I mean, I, I took a guy in the mid eighth who I have over mayor. You took a guy in the early ninth who I have over mayor. So I was a little bit surprised to see him there, but if you look at uh, the guy who had that pick was drafting at the six twelve and the seven one, and then wasn't drafting again until the middle of the eighth round. So I guess if you love Michael Mayer, that would have been his last chance to get it. So from that perspective, I do see it. From the perspective of the rest of his team, though, I mean, he's got Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, and Derrick Henry as the core of his team. I don't know how a rookie tight end really plays into that. I would have preferred to take a guy like Darren Waller even at that point. But, you know, I I do understand it. You got to get your guy. Um, Going on into the seventh round, I didn't have a seventh round pick. I moved back from the late seventh to the mid eighth uh, with the Kyler Murray trade. The reason that I moved back in this range was that I figured there'd be a lot of quarterbacks going in this range. And I knew I would al- already have my two from the first two rounds. I don't think there's a big difference between the late seventh and late eighth. 
Um, and I was right about that as far as the quarterbacks go. We see six quarterbacks go in this round and another three go in the first five picks of round three, uh, sorry, of round eight. So we see, what is that, nine quarterbacks and 16 picks. Um, you ended up with Jordan Love. Were you hoping for Jordan Love to kind of fill out your quarterback room, or was there another guy you were targeting that got sniped from you? If if Russell Wilson would have fallen, I would have okay. taken Russell Wilson over Jordan Love. Uh, I have yeah. him ranked higher. But to me, once again, I mean, the you make me feel good about these stacks now with the, you bringing up the likelihood of you winning a championship with the stack. So now that I have Christian Watson stack. – Right, right. So I was like, if Christian Watson's going to boom, then just correlatively, he's going to obviously help Jordan Love, like just booster his floor. So I, I figure if I'm taking Watson at the 5'10", who already has passed ADP, and then Jordan Love, who I've seen go in the fifth, actually, um, obviously the hype is, I, did, I think, uh, died down slightly, but still getting them at the 7.10 for a six point per passing touchdown league. And once again, pairing him with Watson, I, I was not mad about it. Yeah, and I've been seeing Jordan Love go in the fifth sometimes as well. His ADP is more like the early seventh, and I'm fine with him where you got him. I mean, I, right. I think people were a little bit too high on him in the fifth, but Absolutely. first of all, stacking him with Watson, like you said, it's one of those high upside stacks that could make your team into a true dynasty. Like if Jordan Love hits, there's a very good chance that Christian Watson hits, and then you probably have you know two third rounders that you drafted in the fifth and seventh, and the value of your dynasty team is up you know 25% as a whole. So Absolutely. those are the type of correlative stacks that I'm really looking for. You know, it's not the expensive one like you know Joe Burrow and T Higgins. There's not upside that much upside to that stack for me. I'm getting good production, but there's not that much upside. But if you look at like you know, Geno Smith and JSN is another one I've been targeting. Uh, Brock Purdy and Brandon Ayuk is another one that I've been considering in some leagues that that's just a good way to get some more assets there. Um, you ended up trading your eighth round pick. What was your logic there? As, as we go around the turn, we see uh, Jordan Love, Rogers, Carr, Will Levis all go off the board. Terry McLaurin and Jameson Williams end up going off the board. Jameson with your pick. I thought you would take Jameson Williams there. And I was, uh, I was happy and proud of you that you didn't. Cause I, I, <laughs> I mean, that's good value at the eight Oh three, but I just don't like right. him as a player. So what, what, what was the trade you made and why did you make it? Um, so looking back, I think I trade this eight Oh three and I ended up getting the nine seven and the nine one. And then I believe I traded him. I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. You 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 traded the eight oh three and basically a twenty four second, and you got two ninth rounders for that. Yeah. So the way I saw it is that there was a lot of players still on the board that I had put in my queue that I was more than happy getting with those ninth rounder ninth round picks. Um, so I figured, obviously, I didn't like you said. I'm not a big Jamison Williams guy either. I had just taken a quarterback. I really didn't want to take a fourth quarterback there. Um, so I just decided that I would trade a little bit out into the ninth round and hope that some of the people that I wanted fell. And, um, I'm pretty happy with what ended up happening. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was a pretty good deal for you as well. You basically slid back around and then traded the second round pick for a ninth round pick where you're getting guys in the ninth round who are, you know, worth significantly more than an early second. Um, yeah. I was happy that Jamison Williams went the pick before me because I would have had to take him at the 804 yeah. still there purely to hope that he had a big game so I could flip him for a future first. But right. um, I was pretty thrilled to get Geno Smith there, who I have ranked significantly higher than I ended up getting him at. Um, I have him ranked as, let's see, uh, 
my 601 in startup drafts. Um, and that's in a five point per passing touchdown league and a six point, he'd be a clear fifth rounder for me. I mean, I don't really know what more he has to do. I understand it was just one season, but Geno Smith was literally a top eight quarterback last year by basically any metric. Um, and he just got added Jackson Smith to Jake Ben, Zach Charbonnet. Like they're going to have a top five offense in the league. He has a multitude of weapons to throw to. I don't see a way that Geno Smith doesn't have another very good season. And if he has another very good season, the Seahawks aren't going to be picking that high. They're probably going to, you know, they gave him kind of a fake extension this offseason, but I think they'll restructure that. I'm very high on Geno Smith. And for me, I didn't really care that this is now my fourth quarterback. As I mentioned, I'm just trying to accrue value. Um, I now do have the 8-7 coming up. So I was a little bit nervous not having a tight end yet. I was considering taking a tight end at the 8-4 and then hoping Geno fell to the 8-7, but I ended up going with the value there at the 8-4. Um, what do you think about Geno, though? Um, actually, after this draft, I kind of just thought about it more logically, and I ended up moving Geno Smith like four or five spots of my QB rankings, like the way you just nice. explained it. I mean, he he just got JSN and Charbonnet. I mean, what what more do you what more do you need on an offense? I mean, he's got one of the best like skill sets of uh, wideouts uh, in the league, most likely. And then obviously having two uh, running backs that definitely help uh, and are quite serviceable is definitely not something that's bad for the offense. So I actually moved him up um, prior to, or I guess after you making this pick. So I, I thought about it a lot more, and I was like, yeah, that it, it makes more sense. I'm I'm moving this guy up. Yeah, and he he has an incredible like versatile wide receiver core, which I really like. He was one of the most right. accurate deep throwers last season, which I think is going to be a big part of that offense. Um, I, I'm just excited for Geno Smith, and I think he's super safe as basically what Kirk Cousins has been for the last you know five ten years as like the QB ten to QB thirteen range. I would say Geno even has a little bit more upside, but. Either way, I'm really happy with him. I think he's another guy who I could easily flip into a 24 first if I decide to go the not competitive route um, right. or trade him for, you know, I could see, honestly, if a guy like CJ Stroud starts off not doing very well, I could add on a second or two seconds or something and get CJ Stroud for him in a few months. Like, I really think it could be that type of player that we're looking at Geno Smith being valued around. I do have an off-topic question very quickly. Yeah, go for it. You, so for your projections, do you have JSN and Lockett very similarly projected, or is one a clear favorite over the other? So I think there's a lot of room for both. Let me pull up my uh, uh, good time shout-out. My uh, rookie draft guide right now includes all of my projections. That's what I'm pulling up. I got Jackson Smith the Jigbear projected for about 85 catches, 1,100 yards, and seven touchdowns. Uh, which would put him as about the wide receiver 20. I have Tyler Lockett projected for just under that. So 75 catches, 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns. So actually they project out to the same amount of points per game. Um, there's <laughs> room in this offense for both. Love I mean, it. they don't – like right. I don't think they're going to use a tight end in this offense like they did last year. I essentially think that's what the plan's going to be, adding JSN to this team. He's a very good run blocker. I think he's going to play a lot of slot push Tyler Lockett out wide. Historically, Lockett's played about 50% of his snaps in the slot, but almost all of his snaps from 13 personnel have been in the slot. I think he's going to move out wide a little bit more, or JSN can play out wide. I'm not worried about that either. So I think it's going to be a pretty even split between the two, but obviously the upside for redraft production has to go with JSN. If I'm in an underdog draft or just any typical redraft league, I'm, I'm taking JSN over Lockett. 
Uh, how about you? Where do those underdog ADPs kind of sort themselves out? Um, so when it, yeah, I can pull it up actually right now. So JSN, obviously, like you said, just because of the upside is a little bit higher. So JSN currently is the 29th wide receiver off the board with Lockett being the 33rd. So slightly okay. in the lean of JSN, but yeah. yeah and, and obviously, uh, honestly, I'd be happy taking either of those guys at ADP. Like I said, I think this offense is just going to boom. And looking at this now, DK Metcalf look like, looks like he's around wide receiver 14. There is no reason why DK Metcalf should be significantly ahead of Tyler Lockett or Jackson Smith or Jigba. If you look right. at the last three seasons, Lockett and Metcalf have basically the same points per game. Everyone is chasing, I think it was that 2020 when Metcalf had 1,400 yards it's it's just not there's no reason to think it's going to happen you can't be so focused on that so while i'm okay with metcalf as you know the wide receiver 15 in dynasty there's no reason to take him three four rounds ahead of guys like lockett and jsn in redraft i'm with you yeah so moving on after that i got my pick in this eighth round i picked my guy greg dulcich um, I was hoping I would be able to get Dulcich and Njoku um, in the eighth and ninth round. You ended up stealing Njoku from me at the 901, but I want to talk a little bit why I'm so excited about Greg Dulcich. Um, he was, quite frankly, one of the best rookie tight ends ever last season. If you look at just simple baseline statistics of uh, three and a half catches a game, um, he was one of only seven tight ends to do that as a rookie since 2010. He just is an elite receiving tight end, and he's the type of profile that you look for where he has the athleticism, he has the college receiving production, he's basically being played like a slot right wide receiver. So I see him having the type of season that Evan Ingram had last year, being essentially the third option on this Denver passing attack, playing a whole lot, getting some deep ADOT targets. I really love the new offense that they're going to be instituting in Denver. So I'm pretty excited about Greg Dulcich. I had him a lot higher, um, but I'm, I'm perfectly okay having him as my tight end one. No, yeah, Dulcich is perfectly fine. I actually, the first draft I ever did last year was uh, with some of my Pledge brothers from college, um, and I was able to get Dulcich at the 24.12. I just went back and checked wow. out. So def- definitely not some bad value there, but I definitely love Greg Dulcich going into year two. Like you said, he, he performed as one of the best rookies when it comes to a per-game basis on what he was doing. So yeah, exciting and, stuff for year two. And for me, I was deciding between Dulcich and Njoku there in the same tier for me. I went Dulcich over Njoku just because of the three-year age gap. There's more value upside in a guy like Dulcich. But you immediately messaged me after I took him saying you were surprised I went him over Njoku and then proceeded to take Njoku at the 901, <laughs> um, which was a great pick. What? Who would you prefer out of those two players? And, and tell me why you like Njoku. So for me, Najoku is actually pretty darn high on my rankings. I have him as tight end eight. So definitely a little higher than consensus. To me, I am just buying the Browns as a whole. I think Deshaun Watson coming back is going to get back to elite form. And I think Najoku is a very serviceable and good tight end. He um, had roughly 200 points in this tight end premium scoring last year. And when you look back at that, that's um, basically DJ Moore, who had about 199 points in a PPR league. Uh, he was the wide receiver 24. So looking at that, it's just Najoku and a tight end premium is just giving you a bump. Definitely. And I'm happy to throw him in a flex spot any week. Yeah. And that's the thing, especially in this league, which has three flexes, 
you can stack as many tight ends as you want and just throw them in a flex spot. The interesting thing about Najoku was he had a stretch from week three to week uh, seven. So that's a five game stretch where he had at least 58 yards in every game, at least six targets in every game. It truly looked like he was breaking out as, you know, a potentially TJ Hawkinson level tight end. Then he got injured. He had a little bit of a rough patch. He came back from the injury, had two bad games, got injured again, and then came back with Deshaun Watson and wasn't very good. But a lot of that was due to Deshaun Watson. Like he was still getting an average of five and a half targets a game with decently high a dot. He was just only catching like 40% of his targets over that stretch. And a lot of that was because Watson was terrible. So like you, I'm buying the Cleveland offense. And if Watson returns to form, there's no reason to think that Njoku won't as well. Um, moving on, uh, we see a bunch of uh, guys come off the board here. You mentioned that DJ Moore kind of put up the same number of points as Njoku last year. DJ Moore obviously went three and a half rounds ahead of Njoku in this draft. And then you see players like, this is why tight ends are such a good value here. We saw Christian Kirk, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, and Deontay Johnson come off the board in the eighth round before David Njoku. Those guys are all, you know, 26 to 28 years old. They're probably going to put up, you know, mid wide receiver two seasons if they have a good season. They're going to put up the same amount of points at Njoku with far less upside, and they don't have the positional scarcity argument, and they're older than Njoku is at a position that generally doesn't age as well. So, I don't understand why you would take one of those guys over a guy like Najoku. I'm elevating all of the tight ends in this format. Like I said, I only came away with one so far in this draft, which isn't my typical strategy, mostly because I just loaded up on quarterback. But I think that you need to be taking these tight ends over these wide receivers. I mean, if you're not taking tight ends, then there's no better position to be accumulating than quarterback. That's for sure, though. Yeah, absolutely. So you had two other picks in this range. Um who were you targeting in the ninth round? We're, we're moving on kind of past your locked in starters and looking at right. guys like, you know, we saw Laporta and Aching come off the board here. We saw Cam Akers and Miles Sanders. Who were you targeting in this area? So I would have been fine taking A-Chain here. Um, obviously, he goes a little bit earlier than the 9-7, which is my pick. I'm also always fine with Kadarius Tony. He's actually my most owned wide receiver on best ball. Um, when you look at Tony. Obviously, he translates better for best ball because you don't have to start him on a week-to-week basis with that injury risk. But when you're getting Kadarius Tony, who could very well end up being a Tyreek Light player in this offense, I know he didn't play much. But when you go back and look, they found ways to manufacture touches for him. They traded the third rounder to go get him. I think they very much like his skill set and they want him to be successful with Mahomes. When you're getting the chance at one of the best offenses in the league who really has a lot of targets to be distributed to that wide receiver core, I think Tony in the ninth round is just a risk to reward that I'm willing to take on. Um, I think there's a lot of chances that he obviously does get hurt and he only plays half the games, but in the half, half uh, the eight or nine games that he plays, I can still see him putting up uh, back in wide receiver two numbers just simply because of how talented he is. Yeah, and there is massive like immediate value return there. If, if he comes out week one and has seven catches, looks like he's the wide receiver one in that offense. Like you said, exactly. all they added was Rashi Rice in this offseason, who I don't think is really a competition for Tony. So I'm always a Sky Moore over Kadarius Tony guy, but um, as far as like potential upside, I think Tony has more, and I think he's a, definitely a solid pick here. 
Uh, we went back to back at the nine, nine and nine, 10 with two more quarterbacks. Um, you know, we already had taken seven. Let's go get our eighth and nine. Uh, I took Desmond Ritter at the nine, nine. You took Stafford at the nine, 10. I'll talk about Ritter in a second, but were you, I know you love Matthew Stafford and I want yeah. you to explain that argument because I think it's spot on, but would you have taken Ritter over Stafford? I would not have. I have I have Stafford ranked a lot higher than Ritter, but I'm also big on the Falcons in general, so I'm rooting for Ritter. But when it comes to his draft capital and what the expectations are for him on the Falcons, I think Stafford being under contract till 2026 is just a little bit safer for me. Yeah, so so tell me about Stafford. I mean, he was a top five quarterback. He was one of the only quarterbacks who didn't run the ball uh, for at least 20 yards a game to score more than 24 points a game two years ago. Uh, tell me why you think Stafford can get back to that status. Obviously, you can make the argument that Cooper Cup had the greatest receiving. Uh, I mean, he, he quite literally did had the greatest receiving year of all time. So that is a little bit hindrant on what uh, what Stafford was able to do two years ago. But as you mentioned, he was a top like six quarterback in a PPR score or not PPR, just simple QB scoring formats for um, two years removed. Obviously, he goes in the next last year with all these concerns about his elbow and then he gets the concussion and the Rams are just on the Super Bowl hangover. So everybody's just selling him. I think he's at his rock bottom floor, quite frankly. He's he's we know he's an ultimate competitor. He's been through injury after injury his entire career. He's still tied to Sean McVay, still has Cooper Cup, who is a top five wide receiver in the league. I think there's a lot of things that point to Stafford being able to get back on track and being a fine QB two for your roster. And when you're drafting him around guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Desmond Ritter, who quite frankly, do not have quite as high of a – I'd say Ritter has higher of a ceiling if he were to be successful, but we know what Garoppolo is. I'm going to take Stafford at a discount any day of the week. I really think that there's a good chance he gets back. And with how bad that defense can be, I don't think it really matters whether the Rams are good or not. They're going to be throwing the football quite a bit. Yeah, the bad defense helps a lot. Uh, they have a mediocre offensive line, which could be bad for Stafford's health, but means they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. And, you know, Cooper Cup, before he got hurt last season, was putting up just as many points per game as he was in his record-breaking season. So I'm on board with you there. I mean, someone's going to have to explain to me why Aaron Rodgers goes three rounds ahead of Matthew Stafford in startups. It makes absolutely no sense. No. He is five years older. Like, <laughs> yeah. What? And and not performing better. It uh, does that make any sense to you? No, no. I, I that's why. I mean, Matt Stafford's one of my highest on quarterbacks in dynasty this offseason because I I think you're quite literally just buying him at what his floor really is. Obviously, he could get injured and his value could plummet, and maybe he never plays again. But I'm I'm really willing to take the risk in the nine dot ten. And now I love what you have at the quarterback position. Where I mean, if someone needs a quarterback, they're going to be coming to me or coming to you. And yep. it's pretty clear that we have, like, let's talk about you first. You have anything that someone would want. I assume you're not trading Hertz, but if you get a great deal for Bryce Young, you can just slide in Stafford to your QB2 slot, have Jordan Love as your wild card. If you get a great offer for Jordan Love, you can move him, still start Stafford, and then let Bryce Young grow into the role. So you have a lot of versatility, and that Stafford pick, I think, gives you something that not having him wouldn't do. Because if you had taken a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo there, you're not comfortable starting him. No one's going to be targeting him in a trade. Yeah. So I think taking Stafford there really helps your team. 
Um, I just want to touch briefly on why I'm so high on Desmond Ritter and was pretty pumped to get him at the 9-9. To be honest, I don't think he's that good of a player, um, but I'm just betting on the situation, and I'm honestly betting that I am wrong on my player evaluation because let's be real, all of us are wrong. Sometimes none of us are perfect, and if Ritter is a better player than I think he is, he's going to absolutely boom in this offense. Similar to the Trey Lance pick, if Ritter is good enough that he establishes himself as the starting quarterback with Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and Bijan Robinson, he's going to be at minimum a fourth-round startup pick last year, similar to what Daniel Jones is at this point. So I'm very happy taking Ritter there. I know I can flip him in season, at least for a second-round pick if I don't like the way he's playing. So I like the flexibility he provides me. My team right now is really freaking weird. So at this point, through nine picks, I only have one running back. I only have two wideouts and one tight end. I have five quarterbacks. I just don't care because I'm going best player available. I don't care if I compete year one, to be honest. You know, it, it'd be nice, but I'm only going to compete year one if I get a few trades done. And I know that. And I'm completely okay with that, given the value and the upside that I think I've accrued. And I know that if I don't, I can easily flip Etienne. I can easily flip Geno Smith and be the favorite in 2024, which is kind of my goal to be the favorite either year one or year two. Um, moving on to the to the tenth round, and and we've been going a little bit long here, so we're we're 13 rounds into this draft, so maybe let's rapid fire a bit through the next yep. picks. Um, Sounds good. My next three picks. I loaded up on young wide receivers who I think have some upside. As I mentioned, I'd only taken two wide receivers so far. Um, I don't think I'm necessarily competing year one with my current team construction. So I'm not that interested in the Alvin Kamara, uh, David Montgomery types. So I'm taking the high upside wideouts. I got Rashad Bateman at the 10.04, which I was really excited about. This is partially a fade on Zay Flowers. And if we look at Rashad Bateman and how well he's done when he's been healthy, he's really has the profile more of a fifth or sixth round startup pick. So that's a bet on his health, a bet on the offense coming in, uh, the Todd Munkin offense coming into Baltimore, really opening it up. Uh, Jonathan Mingo was my 11th round pick. Again, just taking a wide receiver with some athletic talent, with some upside. I could see some easy quick returns on him. And then I took Sky Moore at the 1204. If you've listened to any of these podcast episodes, you know I love Sky Moore. Uh, go check out Matt Harmon's Reception Perception if you want another believer and an explanation on why his 2022 was a little bit disappointing. But I'm still buying Sky Moore, especially in the 12th round of a startup draft. Um, why don't we touch on some of your picks, though? Uh, you have no running backs through round 10. So tell me what you're thinking at this point. Are, are you just going to punt running back altogether? I know you're more of a win now guy though. So what's right. your approach here? So at this point, I'm kind of just taking some running backs that I think have a very good chance to boom. Um, I, I like to think that everything's tr everyone's tradable. So taking some guys that I think could very much so just return a quick uh, cash out and, um, just try to get some assets out of them. So I know you are not the biggest fan of James Cook. I know you have a bet against, I think, Jacobian with uh, James Cook versus – who is it? De is it Devin Atchane? Don't you have a bet with Jacobian and Devin Atchane versus James Cook or something? Like yeah, that? yeah, I do. But I, I don't mind James Cook in the 11th round. I mean, it's no. a – you're not doing what some people are doing and taking him in, you know, the, the ninth round. His, right. his ADP right now – is the 906 basically back to back with that chain taking him in the 11th round. I totally understand. I, I, yeah, I don't mind it at all. I actually traded up. I think I had the 11, 10 spot here and I traded up a little bit to go get James cook. He was 
one of the last guys in the tier for me. So I wanted to go get him. I think he has a lot of upside that he presents. And then I go on to get Bigsby, obviously the other player in Jackson, the Jacksonville backfield. Um, I know you, you already talked about ETN and what he presents. I think one, he brings an elite handcuff ability. And then two, I think he's just quite a good player. Um, if you look at, if you look at a year over year, um, he was actually like a top five running back or, top eight running back in Debbie drafts from just a year removed. So obviously he's taken a little dip, but Auburn was terrible at the team to begin with. So it's probably faced a lot of stack boxes. I don't know the numbers on that though. No, so I go him. You're right. And a lot of Bigsby's peripheral numbers are quite strong. Um, I like him a lot. Like I'm taking Etienne with confidence, but I still yeah. like Bigsby a lot. I really like his contingent upside. If you compare him to a guy like Kendra Miller in rookie drafts, for instance, I'm going to take Miller over Bigsby because that's what ADP would tell me to do. And I'm going to, yeah. you know, go with the value, but I am happier with Bigsby at the 211 than I am with Miller at the 204 because Miller needs two injuries to do anything. Tank Bigsby is one injury away from literally being a top five running back. Absolutely. It's also interesting always to look at these drafts because obviously A-Chain goes at the 110, 111, 112. But when you look at it, in a startup league, typically he's going off as like a 202, 203, 204, just because these running backs tend to fall. So when you look at it from a rookie draft perspective to a startup yeah. perspective, these running backs are going a little later than what they typically do in those rookie drafts. So never mad about grabbing them here. And then my final guy, I go with Madison. I think Madison is just undervalued at ADP right now. I think he should have been a little higher in ADP. So get him at the 12.12 with the anticipation of, Dalvin Cook getting cut post uh, or pre, I think it's June 27th. They say yeah. 8 million or something along those lines. So with that, just another guy that I think has a ton of upside and I can trade to somebody who maybe drafted Dalvin Cook and thought he was going to still be the guy and still give them that ability to have that Vikings uh, running back. I actually saw on Twitter today, uh, Ian Hart, it's, he's, he's always got some funny content over there, but he saw that they had changed the Vikings uh, header on Twitter from uh, Dalvin Cook to Madison. So that's pretty funny to see. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, I, it, <laughs> there are obviously a lot of rumors that Dalvin Cook could get cut. If you look at the Dalvin Cook owner, for instance, you know he's got a pretty win-now build with Mahomes, right. Dak, Diggs, Chubb, and DJ Moore as his first five picks. I could very much see you're spot on. If Dalvin Cook gets cut, doesn't end up in a good situation, I could see him trading you like, Conquo or Will Levis for Alexander Madison. And then, you know, that's free profit that you're making in literally exactly. six weeks. Right. So that, that was kind of my thought process on my final pick that I've made so far. So realistically with your running backs, I mean, if we can just be frank, you're probably not going to compete year one unless you make a no. trade. Are, are you okay no. with that? What's your strategy now with guys like Matt Stafford um, who might not be providing you a lot of value year one? Um, so I'm definitely going to take it day by day. I'm always uh, on sleeper making trades when I can make trades when I see a good value or whatnot, but I am happy with my build. Obviously I like to build a little bit more win now, but with the, how the draft kind of went, I'm kind of willing to accept that I might be trading off some of these players for future capital or future players to um, succeed and kind of doing a one year pun. And that's um, in that regard. But as, yeah, as you said, I, I typically do win now a little bit more than I did this time. Yeah. And I, I can totally see that. Like I I'm in a similar position where I'm probably going to be moving Etienne after the draft. If I can get good value, I could see myself moving Geno Smith. Well, one thing that I will say is that I, you don't need to move these guys right now. Like I think you feel about Stafford and I feel about Stafford fim similarly to how we feel about Geno where 
they're being underrated right now. And if they have a good, you know, September, you can get a lot more by trading them October 1st than you can by trading them June 1st. So I'm okay having a roster that doesn't make a lot of sense going into training camp, going into September. There will come a point, you know, where if I'm going to tank, I want to get these points off my roster so I could go try and get Caleb Williams. But for now, I'm totally okay having these points on my roster if I feel like they're at a good value. Um, Absolutely. My game plan now, I'm probably just going to leave running back vacated for as long as possible. Um, Try to have no running backs on my roster other than Etienne. So then when I do trade him, I can, you know, literally take no points at running back and really help me get a higher pick. Um, Normally, I would ask you, what best players do you see on the board? But given I am on the clock right now, and then you have two (laughs) more picks between my next pick, I don't think that'd be a super productive uh, conversation. But I got a small queue. I got a small queue. So we'll, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, one thing I will say, I don't know if you feel similarly, but here in this 13th round right now, I'm not seeing anyone that I really have much interest in, right? Like, I mean, I can tell you the top of my board at wide receiver is like Wando Robinson, Romeo Dobbs, Nico Collins. Like these players do not have a high chance of hitting. Basically, we have one starting quarterback with Tannehill left. Running backs, we're looking at pure backups like, you know, Brian Robinson and Tyler Algier, you know, maybe if you're a Khalil Herbert believer, but you're getting a guy in a committee and at tight end, we're on to like the Noah Fant, Jawan Johnson level of tight end. So it really drops off quicker than I typically remember. Um, so it's something to keep in mind. If, if, if you, all you need is to give up a 14th round pick to go up a few spots and get your guy early in the draft, like if you can move up from the late second, like I was talking about to the mid or early second, go get your second quarterback, like Kyler or Deshaun. And you're just giving up these picks that are essentially like late seconds, early thirds. If that, uh, I would definitely recommend doing that. There's just not a whole lot of value to be found this late. I, I think you could also argue giving up just the, you know, let's say the two ten and a future second, as well as a 13th rounder, just straight up for like a two Oh two or two Oh one. If you can get a a- Watson abs- Richardson there. Yeah, absolutely. I would recommend doing that. Um, In the same regard, I would do that. Like, let's say you did end up with a pick at the one, two turn. So you're going to have the 112, 201, 301, and 412. If you go quarterback, quarterback at the 112 and 201, I would recommend moving up from the 412, try to get into that late third round, see if you can get a T Higgins or Devontae Smith or Jackson Smith, a Jigba instead of, you know, the Michael Pittman or Jordan Addison, that's going to fall. Cause in a rookie draft, you're not going to be able to trade. Like the best rookie who's left right now is probably going at like, it's like Jalen Hyatt, right? He's going at or Cedric Tillman. Those are third round picks. You're not going to be able to trade a rookie third round pick and the 108, which is Jordan Addison, for the 106, which is JSN. But you could maybe do that in a startup pick if you think ahead, you really map it out like we have today, and you can see where the value lies. Absolutely. It, yeah, it, it, the board is just gross. So I, I am curious who you end up picking after this. I, I'm a little curious myself. I'm going to have to do some research. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Any, uh, any last thoughts before we sign off? No, uh, this was really fun. I was excited to just break down our teams and kind of just go over our general strategy when it comes to these type of things. The one thing I'll just one, one more time emphasize is just knowing your league settings because that puts you at an advantage over others who maybe are not thinking about the tight end full point premium or the six point per passing. As you see, we took nine out of the first 25 quarterbacks because they just simply fell at value and we're hoping to hopefully get 
somebody that's worth more than that later on in the season. So something that I like to look at. Exactly. And those are the positions that are really hard to fill. I mean, even if you look at like, you look at the best tight end who's left right now is like Isaiah likely or Noah Fant. Like I was saying, you look at the best running back right now. It's like, you know, Khalil Herbert, Brian Robinson, Damian Harris, you can get points out of those running backs. You know, you can get points out of uh, Chase Claypool or Rondell Moore, but you're not getting any points out of the tight ends or the quarterbacks who are left. So you really do want to fill those positions early because then when you get into the season, someone gets injured and a guy like, you know, Matthew Stafford or a guy like Dalton Schultz is going to be a worth, a worth a lot more than the replaceable wide receiver that you could have drafted at that same slot. Um, one thing I did want to add is that uh, Dr. Archibald and I are going to be working together uh, quite a bit in the future. Uh, he's a little newer to this space, but we've been talking quite a bit, chopping it up. Uh, love the way he thinks about things. Um, might be get venturing a little bit into some of the uh, sports gambling space, a little bit of the best ball space, which I'm excited uh, to talk about a little bit more. So on that note, do you want to just tell everyone uh, kind of your Twitter handle, where they can find some of your work and some of the other stuff you might have in store for the next few months? Yeah, absolutely. So um, um, uh, Discord, uh, Twitter, they're all at Dr. Archibald, sleeper name, Dr. Archibald as well, as you can see. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I've created a little YouTube channel called the ball shop. Uh, it's going to be talking about all different types of, uh, football content, whether it be dynasty redraft, best ball, uh, talking sports gambling, and then just a couple other things where we're just talking general football. There's nothing better than talking football. So I'd like to diversify what I'm portraying to the public. So just doing all types of content, but if you like what I have to say, go follow me on uh, Twitter. I'll be tweeting a lot, um, coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely make sure to give him a follow. As I've said before, uh, supporting my guests is one of the best ways that you could support this podcast. Uh, other ways, of course, rate, review, subscribe, et cetera, all that good stuff. Uh, check out my Patreon. I did reference my startup rankings a few times. I referenced my rookie guide. All of that is available uh, to all of my patrons on my Patreon starting at just six bucks a month. So definitely make sure to check that out. Um, I'll be back. I got a very exciting guest coming on. Uh, I think that episode's going to drop next Monday. Um, and it's going to be a real in-depth breakdown uh, from a film analyst you all know and love going deep into the rookie class. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, subscribe to the pod so it gets pushed uh, to the top of your list every time I publish a new one. And thanks so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you all soon.